This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 182 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and I'm joined today by Brady and David. It's another football-heavy episode as we'll hit week two of our preview of the upcoming season. But first, we have to start off with a little bit of basketball schedule news. That's right, we now have the full schedule for the women's team and conference schedule for the men's team as of today. Starting off with the women, some schedule highlights. They're going to start their season off with a three-game homestand hosting Barrie, Western Michigan, and Kennesaw State in the Convocation Center on November 6th, 10th, and 14th, respectively, before the GSU tournament on the 22nd and the 23rd of November. And then they're going to start their away slate of non-conference games, traveling to Western Carolina on the 28th, Georgia Tech on the 10th of December, Winthrop on the 14th of December, and Clemson on the 16th of December before returning home for their final non-conference game against LaGrange on the 19th of December, and then opening Sunbelt play at Troy on December 30th before returning home to host ULM on the 4th of January, and then Texas State on the 6th, Marshall on the 11th, and App State on the 13th, hitting the road once again on the 18th of January to travel to Southern Miss the 20th at South Alabama, 24th at Georgia Southern, 27th at Old Dominion, then returning home on the 31st of January to host James Madison, and then Georgia Southern on the 3rd of February, Arkansas State on the 7th of February, and then traveling to an as-of-yet-undetermined MAC Challenge opponent on the 10th of February, heading up to face James Madison on the 15th of February, and then App State on the 17th, and then returning home for their final homestand, hosting Coastal Carolina on the 22nd and Old Dominion on the 24th, and then ending their season on the road at Marshall on the 27th and at Coastal Carolina on the 1st of March before traveling to Pensacola for the Sun Belt Tournament. And then over on the men's side, we only have the conference schedule so far. Uh, non-conference is slated to be released at some point soon, but we'll go ahead and hit their highlights. Opening Sun Belt play at home versus Arkansas State on the 30th of December and then traveling over to Southern Miss on the 4th of January, South Alabama on the 6th, returning home on the 11th to face Old Dominion, and then Georgia Southern in the Convocation Center as well on the 13th of January, and then a four-game road trip heading up north to face App State on the 17th of January, heading back down to Statesboro on the 20th, at Marshall on the 24th, and at Coastal Carolina on the 27th, returning home for a two-game homestand versus App State on February 1st and Troy on February 3rd, then heading back on the road, February 7th at Louisiana, 15th at James Madison, 17th at Old Dominion, and then a four-game homestand to close the season out at Coastal Carolina coming to the Convocation Center on the 21st of February, followed by Texas State on the 24th, James Madison on the 28th, and the final game, Marshall on March 1st, before traveling down to Pensacola for the Sun Belt Championship the following week. So gentlemen, that's what we got right now on scheduling. Uh, what's your thoughts? It's definitely weird having these duels. Like one is the full schedule, and we're still waiting on the non-conference. Although little stuff has trickled out about the men's non-conference, and this week we found out officially uh, through sources, through uh, I think it was the D1 docket on Twitter who put it out that Kennesaw State and Georgia State are going to start a home and home this year at Kennesaw State on the men's side, which uh, I think has been something a lot of people have been calling for for a while. Uh, from both teams and just kind of a general Georgia teams need to play each other a lot more. This will be the first time that Georgia State and Kennesaw State play since 1989 in men's basketball. So it's been a long time coming. And uh, 
probably a good road win opportunity for the team in non-conference. Even with a new coach, Kennesaw is still probably going to have a decent net by the time they play in non-conference. And uh, it'll be a, another good game on the schedule for next season, that, that one at home. But you know, as far as the conference for the men, I think that it's a pretty favorable schedule because you know they don't have like a monstrosity of a road trip in a week. The worst one is going from Marshall to Coastal Carolina on January 24th and 27th. Uh, they go to Southern Miss, but Arkansas State and Texas State come to Atlanta, and those are the only times they're going to play. And so they avoid maybe two of the longer possible road trips on the schedule at all. Um, and, you know, they pair up Southern Miss and South Alabama in one week. They pair up Old Dominion and James Madison, another road trip. So those are kind of what you'd hope for because it isn't really a travel partner, but in those instances, you kind of got the travel partner week, and that's always helpful the less you can have travel between the games. And, yeah, like Jordan finished on, that four-game stretch to finish at home, obviously a lot of Panther fans hoping the season goes better and that the games will be meaningful down the stretch rather than hoping the season ends sooner than it is going to. <laughs> as might have been the case with the games last this past season. You know, having four at home to end with potentially something to play for, that's a huge deal. And so those are the things that stand out for me when I saw the men's schedule. I like what you said. You know, the road schedule really is just it's bad, but it's separated. Um so it's not like there's any daunting trips. Um if you look at the dates like specifically I you know normally you'd say okay going to Louisiana then James Madison then Old Dominion that's kind of a lot but if you look at the actual day days on the calendar you know it, we're talking about a Wednesday for Louisiana and then they don't play that weekend so they as far as the conference schedule is concerned um there's a nice break in February obviously they'll still play on the weekend after the Louisiana game um so they'll be on the road, but that there's not some daunting road trip in terms of opponents that you would look on the calendar and say, okay, yeah, this isn't something that the Panthers are going to, this is something that they need to circle on their calendars because it's probably going to be a rough stretch here. Um, and I mean, yeah, everybody's schedule. Certainly that was the case this past season. I mean, aside from all the other issues, the Don, what was it? Southern and Old Dominion. Who else was in there on that Marshall? I mean, that game was the worst of them. Like before the season, we definitely were like that looks like a pretty rough stretch. And little did we know it was going to be worse than that. Yeah, but it, I mean, there aren't it, really any of those on this one. Yeah, it really did not go well for them. Um, I think that was at the end of February. I'm checking right now. Um, Obviously, we have taken the, the last season to heart and remembered these <laughs> games and not filed them away to never speak of them again. Sorry, it was it was the end of January where it was Old Dominion, Georgia Southern, uh, at App State, and then at Marshall, which was just all just all awful, um, both in results and just like just not a good travel sequence. Um, ugh, looking looking at the schedule honestly gives me the creeps, both both the results and the yeah. way that it was set up together. Party foul by me even mentioning it. We can move past it. And just suffice to say, there doesn't appear to be that kind of really 
wonky road trip that you're really going ahead of time. No matter how the team is, that's going to be an issue. I don't really see that in 2023, 2024, which that's all you can hope for. Because ultimately, you're going to play almost the same games as everyone else. Obviously, home and away is going to switch for some of the regional ones, you know, the teams in the West. But sequencing really does play a huge part. And that's why I say, you know, it's good you don't have any of those scary road trips and also that you end with four at home. Because, you know, if teams win at home most of the time, no matter what we think of the team, if they're winning three of those four games or all four of those games, because you're able to take care of business at home, no matter whether they're playing for like the top of the conference or trying to get to a seed line and get to the bye, maybe that's a, a stretch of games that if you feel like you're going to get wins there could swing you from whatever position you were in to the one you want to be. in. And so huge to have those closing home games. And the, I mean, you know, the start of the slate outside of Arkansas state is probably going to be, fairly tough um i don't say tough in the sense that georgia state can't beat them um but i mean southern miss is returning a team that had ncaa tournament hopes last year um south alabama has always been a team you know (laughs) we know the riley story we know you know how they are how they've been the last few years um and Let's say Georgia State goes one and two those first three games. Do I think that's going to be, you know, a barometer for where they are and how they're going to finish in the conference schedule? No. And obviously we'll have the entire out-of-conference slate to kind of feel out where we think that they will be. But it's not as hard as last year, but it's it, it, it'll be interesting. You know, they'll probably get to, you know, the middle end of January and really feel like they have a footing on where they're going to be um in the by the end of the year and headed towards like the Sunbelt tournament. Yeah, and it is almost literally half the jigsaw puzzle as far as the schedule goes. So I do want to readdress the schedule when we see it in in totality. Probably that won't be too far away now. Um knowing our like it might literally get released in the next couple of days after we record this pod cuz we've been on a good run of not having that happen where news is coming right after we record, but you never know, it's always around the corner. Uh, but obviously, when the full non-con is out, we will be back on this pod, breaking that down, talking about those matchups as well, and how they fit in with the rest of the men's basketball schedule going forward. All right, and let's go ahead and move on to the meat and potatoes of today's episode, which is the rest of our football stuff we promised at the top of the show. Starting off with the schedule gut check part two, the month of October, which is following the bye week, first week of October versus Marshall on October 14th at Louisiana, October 21st. And on a Thursday, October 26th, the annual rivalry game with Georgia Southern this year taking place in Statesboro. So gentlemen, thoughts on the October games. Slightly abridged this week, because obviously we did five last week, means only doing three this week, because I only play three games in the month of October, which is a weird, but I think, beneficial break i think getting that buy after especially after playing coastal and troy will pay dividends for sure the comeback from the buy middle of the month it's going to feel like 15 weeks since they played i think once because once we go through the first five weeks the first five weeks it's going to feel like forever um but marshall is tough you know it's going to be in atlanta so you get the home field advantage the team that Georgia State played close but couldn't get over the line in that regular season finale that 
you know, they've, it's been made reference to a couple of times and you know, some of this clearly, even after the, the game in that moment, there was some reflection going on in the program from coach Elliott that you know, if things turn around this year, that loss to Marshall will feel like something of an inflection point for the program. Uh, but with this year's game, there's something that I've said just as I've been kind of making my reads on the Sun Belt going into this year is there's a lot of stuff up in the air with a few programs, new coaches and all that. Marshall to me is the most bankable bowl team in the East, especially factoring that JMU can't go to a bowl. I'm not saying that they might, they wouldn't have a winning record. They probably are a good chance of doing that as long as they find a new quarterback to replace Todd Santeo. But with Marshall, it feels like they've got a really good defense. seems like Cam Fancher at quarterback is figuring stuff out. Um, and they're going to lean on the run game in a lot of the same way that Georgia state does. And so that's a good combination where I think even if they don't max out, I still feel like six and six, seven and five is the absolute floor for them. And so for that reason, you know, it's a toughie, but you're at home, you played them close last year and you know, coming off of that by, I think what happens in the weeks preceding it will have a lot of impact on Georgia state's mindset going into the game. But it's homecoming. Obviously, it's going to be a game you're going to want to win. And I, I think a theme is just going to be it's a toughie with just about every game on the schedule and conference play because that's what the Sun Belt is. And so uh, without getting repetitive and using it too many times, I'll use it for this one on Marshall. Yeah, I like Marshall. Um, they have the same problem that a lot of, you know, power five, excuse me, there's the same problem that a lot of uh, group of five teams have where they were very talented um, and, you know, they lost a good bit of people, but I would be willing to bet on the defense specifically. Um, like you mentioned, Fancher figured things out as the season went on. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of turnover um, on the offensive side of the ball, but that was a really good defense last year. And I think they probably would have finished higher in the standings if they were just able to score a little bit more. Um, there was some, they just, they didn't give up a lot on defense and were just barely able to, you know, eke out some wins. Yeah, no, I mean, they, <laughs> well, I think it was 16, nine was the final when they played Troy. Yeah. They played Troy in an incredible road, game, but just, they couldn't get anything together on offense in that game. And that's one of the ones that they could have ticked in their box. They had a really weird loss to Bowling Green at Bowling Green, uh, as well that really, I think dampened a little bit of the joy out of beating Notre Dame the week before that, but I thought it was a good team that got better and they're recruiting well. So I kind of feel like they're going to replace what they lost pretty well. So time will tell, but like I say, I think decent bowl team. So Georgia State's going to have the work cut out for them in that game. Something that I feel like I've noticed over the last couple of years is the better Sunbelt defenses just handle Georgia State's ability to run the ball really well. Um, you know, Georgia State could still get to 100 yards or whatever barometer that they, you know, have set for themselves internally. Um, but the, you know, they're scrapping for that 100 yards. They're they're getting it with you know very little time left in the fourth, and you know, there's not many explosive plays of 20 or more yards. It's just you know long drives, like two one or two long drives, and you know that would definitely be something that favors Marshall in a game like that. So. Uh, definitely yeah, definitely right. one of the tougher games that they'll play at home this year for Georgia yeah. State. And doubling up on what I said when we were talking about the quarterbacks last week, that is kind of the zone Darren needs to improve in is like 
if a team, if a good defense is trying to make the Georgia State offense one-dimensional in the passing game, he's got to be able to take advantage better than he has. And I think you've seen some stuff like in the Marshall game where him and Thrash got some connections going before uh, the second half happened and the offensive line had their issues with the pass rush to think that it could happen. But that's, you know, another example of like what you're talking about, that the good defenses make you beat you beat them with not your best side of the ball. And that's certainly something that's plagued Georgia state. And I think this plagued Georgia state is beating Louisiana. Um, they haven't done it. It's, it's kind of gone a little bit under the radar, I think, because the app state one looms a little bit larger, but they're also rocking an offer with the Cajuns, uh, the Cajuns in a weird spot. I think, um, I think replacing Billy Napier was always going to be the most thankless task because he really built a nice machine there in Lafayette, but they went to a bowl last year. And yet I don't think even their fans would have been particularly thrilled with the season. I think they kind of struggled with replacing not only Napier, but they didn't really have a quarterback set. And it sounded like from media day that uh, Nick Woolridge is the guy for them. If he's medically cleared and as he continues to progress through fall camp, I think they hope that he is the guy. I kind of need to see it. Um, it feels like something where they, this feels like of all of the games, I don't think it's going to be a walkthrough, but I think this is a gettable road game, you know, especially if they're in the right mindset, if they can at least get a couple of the wins in the games before against, you know, coastal Troy Marshall, if they're able to have a winning record through those. And if they're you know on the cusp already of getting to that six win mark, this feels like one where they could hit the road and be able to get it done. It's certainly not going to be a gimme and it's been one that's been an issue. It's been a bugaboo for them. Second only to the app state Mountaineers. Uh, But this does feel like, you know, and this is kind of what I said when the schedule came out, it it's a bull team. So it looks like a, a daunting task, but I think as far as the West goes, I think I'd rather play Louisiana than a few of the teams that they did not get lined up with this year. Um, and so I, for that reason, I, th- I think it's winnable. And that's all you can really ask for with these road games middle of the season. Yeah, I agree. Um, they're they're definitely a team still in transition, I feel like. Because, I mean, the East-West wasn't as strong as it is now. But since Napier left, Louis, like before when Napier was there, like this was a perennial, okay, we're probably going to end up in the Sunbelt Championship game slash be, you know, one win away, a real contender in the conference. Um, obviously, this is only the second season, you know, out, without Napier. So I'm not going to sit here and say that they're, they've fallen or anything like that. But I would say there's still probably a team in transition. There's definitely more talented teams in the West. Um, it would certainly be a surprise if they ended up hosting or going to the Sunbelt Championship game, um, which presents an opportunity for Georgia State. Like, I, you know, it's hard to really predict this game just because of the questions. Um, you know, Woldridge was good last year when he played, but, you know, is he healthy? Um, are they going to replace, you know, Chris Smith easily i mean he was their leading rusher last year you know they have some questions on defense just because of the transfer portal um but i mean i feel like i could say similar things about georgia state and like like you said like this is a team that's given georgia state fits in the past and and for good reason like you know the funny thing about us bringing up the history with all these teams is if you like go back to those rosters it made a lot of sense 
why Louisiana has given Georgia State fits. That historically has been a very talented roster. Um, but I don't think this is those teams, and I feel like Georgia State certainly has a chance here. The only thing that gives the edge to Louisiana for me is the fact that it is a road game. Yeah, for sure. And like we said, we won't know where the team's mindsets are at that point. Context is going to matter. And it's another weird schedule quirk that not only are Georgia State playing Louisiana again on the road, as they did two years ago, it is five days between that game and the Georgia Southern road trip, which was the same in reverse. two years ago in 2021 and moving on there to the final game. We're going to talk about this gut check. It is the rivalry game state versus Southern October 26th in Statesboro Thursday night should be a national TV game. If my mind remembers correctly, I think ESPN two, or if they haven't announced that one yet, but the big in-state rivalry is getting a, a national focus and it's a chance for Georgia state to pad their lead in the series. I think a lot of people are giving Georgia Southern some props. And I will mildly agree with it. Um, Obviously, last year was Clay Helton's first year. They ditched the triple option. Welcome to, you know, the 21st century football. Um, And they passed that test with flying colors. Um, They... I mean, you know, Georgia Southern fans will tell you that they want a team that is out here, you know, winning every single game because they're, you know, crazy fans. And that's a program that has some sort of pedigree. Um, But by their own standards, you know, they still had an under 500 season. So, you know, and they didn't do great in conference play either. Um, And I, I think a lot of people are kind of, Smoking on that helium, if if I could They've say they've taken that. like the dark horse, the dark horse role that Georgia State kind of occupied the last couple of years, where they're like they're not getting picked to win it. Although I think they got a first place vote from probably Clay Helton, but cannot confirm or deny. Uh, where that was Georgia State's role the last couple of years, where it's like they weren't going to get picked to win the conference by many people, but it was like they might make some noise. You're getting some of that for sure from people heading into this year with Southern. You definitely are. You absolutely can see that. Um, and it's it's interesting to me is is how I will say that it's definitely interesting to me, um, because I still I think Southern's problems are more or less the same as they've been the last couple of years. You know, still a team with questions on offense, still a team that defensively there's a lot of there's there is some talent, um, but it's not. It, you know, is the talent going to mesh well enough to where? they're able to keep them in games because a lot of, a lot of times Southern gave up a good bit of points last year and it was Van Trees who had to, you know, force the offense to get down the field quickly score and, you know, keep them in the game or in years past, it's been, you know, their quarterback's ability to bust out long runs late in games. And, you know, that might not be necessarily the strategy going forward as they have kind of switched to a more, you know, pass heavy offense, but you know, I don't know. I just I think there's nothing about this Georgia Southern team that really scares me in terms of the East. And I think this still is another opportunity for Georgia State to come in and, you know, get get what probably will be an upset win on the road. 
Yeah, I mean, for me, it's about you know, Kyle Van Treese was the perfect year one quarterback in retrospect. They got exactly what they needed as far as just getting the new offense set, a guy who was able to work with the receivers. And the receivers, obviously, I think were better than people were expecting for a post-triple option, spread option offense. And they, they showed out for sure. The question is if Davis Brin, the Tulsa transfer, is able to come in and replicate that. And that's what it will hinge on offensively for them. And they are replacing their defensive coordinator as well. I don't think their fans are too unhappy to see him leave because their defense was a bit of a mess this past season. And so getting that improved is going to be probably more important than the quarterback play. Because I feel like probably base level Brin won't be like bad, but it's about whether he can max out, be top of the conference leaderboards, kind of like what, Van Treese was that'll make the difference and I think that they are back in caring about this rivalry and that they're not doing the whole puff the chest it's not a rivalry they want to be like us thing they they were doing under Chad Lunsford Helton hasn't been embracing it more as like yeah it's an in-state rivalry we're gonna do it up and this will be the first home game in the series for him Um, but the one thing you can say uh, that's been kind of magnified with the success George State's had is Sean Elliott has beaten Georgia Southern pretty regularly. Uh, the last time that they lost in the series was 2020. Should have been 2019. 2019. Yes, after Dan Torres ACL, which, yeah, yeah, which to be fair, the pretty much the only reason that Southern won that game was because Dan was playing with one leg. Yeah, I we don't, you know, it's impossible to relegate that season because, you know, so many variables, but yeah, 2019 is the last time they've lost in the series. And, you know, that's something you can point to right now. And it's still an advantage that Georgia State has. And for, I know Georgia State fans, there's a lot of pride there that, you know, among everything else, that's been a bit of a struggle. They've done what Georgia Southern fans said was impossible and won games against them and won multiple games against them. And so, you know, a lot of this season is about Georgia State kind of proving that they can get back to a level. But that game, no matter where it's played, is about keeping that standard going. And it's an important one. You know, the, the rivalry the past the past few years, there's been some really good entries if you're a fan of the Panthers. So, you know, that's definitely one that they're going to need to keep up the energy and find a way to get it done because all hell breaks loose if you lose that one. All right, let's go ahead and move on into the last segment of today's show, which is going to be the next bit of position previews. Uh, Last week, we talked about quarterbacks, running backs, and inside linebackers. So if you haven't had a chance to check that out, make sure you go back and listen to last week's show. But uh, Brady, David, what you got for us this week? David's up first because I finished out last week. Um, We'll see if he picks in a defensive unit this time or if he sticks with his offense. Oof. Um, I, I don't know what I want to talk about today. That's that's the exciting thing about this. Um, okay, let's see. I'm just kind of going down the roster and see. Can we talk tight ends? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, we'll we'll need to eventually. Um, let's talk wide receivers. I won't. I won't stick. De- I won't pick defense. Um, All right. I'll I'll talk wide receivers for a little bit because. This is a very interesting group. Um, I feel like I feel like I'm a little bit more down on them for the first time in a couple of years. Um, 
but I don't think that means that there isn't talent here uh, because there is. I mean, you know, obviously losing Jamari Thrash, it, I mean, that that is a huge loss. He really kind of blossomed into, you know, a guy who could just take the cover off of a defense and, you know, really stretch the field. And, and you know, I will just say watching him develop last year the way that he did was really fun. Um, there weren't there wasn't a ton of great things that happened on the football field for Georgia state last year, but just watching that progression go from, you know, okay, there's, this was a big game for Jamari to, okay, this is, uh, you know, he might just be really, really good now. Um, that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, so I, I did want to say for Georgia, Unfortunately for Georgia state, that was also Jeff Brom's takeaway as he, recruited, <laughs> as he entered the portal and left for Louisville. Yes, unfortunately, that is the case. Um, but at the same time, though, you know, this is still a wide receiver room that returns, you know, a lot of the other talent um, that was here last year, which is, I mean, that's good. You know, you want to see guys like Robert Lewis, guys like Jakai's Cradle, guys like Kadarius Thompson, you know, they have that repertoire with Darren Granger. They have had you know, the experiences with him, you know, the wide receiver room also, you know, it, it got beefed up a little bit this year. Um, they added, I believe three wide receivers from the transfer portal. Um, and that, you know, guys with varying levels of experience, both at college um, and just in their, you know, careers. And And I think at the end of the day, if you don't have one, elite wide receiver it's all about depth and i know we always talk about depth here on the thursday night podcast you might as well call us the thursday night depth podcast um but with the wide receiver room especially with how georgia state likes to attack defenses a lot of the ways that the current plan for wide receivers it really seems like it's not just stretch the field it's we're gonna use guys to be strategic in the ways that we attack defenses. You know, I I think the last, you know, Brady, you talk about this all the time. The last element that's been missing for Georgia state is guys who can truthfully just go get behind, you know, the better secondaries of the Sun Belt. And until we see that consistency from cradle from Thompson, you know, I can't sit here and say, I expect it to happen this year, but I think there are still plenty of guys who, have shown they can be good route runners who have shown, you know, good hands and the ability to catch the football. And I mean, if they are going to start, you know, beating their matchups one-on-one, it's just going to help, you know, Darren Granger as he continues to progress and continues to grow. Yeah. So first off, don't call us the Thursday night deaf podcast. It's a terrible name. Just I'm going to nip that one in the bud. Ah, come Uh, on. Brady's not fun today, guys. But as far as the wide receivers go, I don't think it's any surprise that I think most people have about the take you had. If you look at like the Phil Steeles of the world, the people who do these rankings for receivers rooms, Georgia State's around the bottom or at the bottom in a lot of people's estimations compared to the rest of the conference. And I think that's all you can do given the loss of a real wide receiver one in Jamari Thrash and that you don't have anyone stepping up that has in the past here at this FBS level done it before. But there were some sneaky ads that I think could fit in. I got a good vibe from how the team feels about 
Merrimack transfer Jakari Carter in the spring. He was one of the players who's made available. It seems like he's a guy that's going to flash at this level, might have an opportunity to show some stuff on special teams as well, which we'll obviously get to in another segment of this. And, you know, Rico Arnold's a guy that transferred directly from UMass. He had played at Charlotte before. And with him, he is the one of the FBS transfers they added that has the most track record to where if he's the one who's quietly like a starter, like the third wide receiver or like the backup behind Cradle or whatever and making his presence felt early on, I guess it would shock me the least because he does have the most to speak of. Um, He's got handful of collegiate touchdowns. He's got some receiving yards behind him. And then you move down, like Devin Bush, they got from UConn, basically didn't get to feature at all. And I don't think that's an estimation of who he is as a player. Just he really didn't have much during his time in, in stores to do much. And so I don't know what to make of him, but they added him. The one that intrigues me the most is definitely Peter Kiwata, the guy who transferred from Old Dominion who was there basically top recruit in their recruiting history. And he's another guy who basically has no stats in his time up in Norfolk. So there's not a lot to go off of again, but the recruiting pedigree stood out to me when that commitment came through. And so he's the one I think sneaky could be a real guy, maybe in the slot. Like it feels like a real option there. And then the other thing to mention is that maybe this is just coach spin and a lot of it, I think, probably is just Coach Ben, just how it goes this time of year. But at Media Days, Coach Elliott mentioned that Robert Lewis was the guy that they were expecting to be the breakout in 2022. It ended up being Jamari Thrash because, in part, Lewis got hurt a few games into the season and never really got back to full health. But it's definitely interesting if that's the case, where if he is able to have that breakout, if he's able to be anything like what Jamari was in 2022, then that's the wide receiver room solved. There's no issues there just let him cook. Um, but we have to see that play out over a full season. And, you know, Cradle, I don't know. Uh, you know, you haven't seen it every week, but you've seen him be that guy that can get open, bust a big play in the secondary. And that's what I look for. I don't know if he's the every down, you know, the possession receiver type. We'll see. But I think he's good for a nice big gainer down the field, maybe a touchdown. And him and Darren have obviously got that chemistry. And so, as I'm kind of measuring it up, I'd look at maybe Lewis is the guy to maybe he's going to get you your bulk, but Cradle is certainly someone I'm going to pencil in for at least three, four touchdowns if he stays healthy because he's got that in his bag. And, you know, that's something that I think they're going to have to lean on more. And just Coach Elliott said it himself that they got a little bit more experimental going for it downfield in the passing game as the season went on under first year OC Trent McKnight. And he's like, I think we needed to do that more. And so this is kind of, you know, the put up or shut up as far as that goes to see if they're going to try and make some more dynamism happen in the passing game from a play calling perspective. That's been the missing element that this team has needed, you know, like, yes, when they've faced some, you know, less than stellar opponents, they've had that level of passing, um, but at the same time, though, when they've played better opponents, they can be very, very one-dimensional. And it's been what's honestly cost them games if they haven't found a way to win them. So they're definitely going to need, you know, receivers to step up. And, you know, that's probably the most important part because I, 
I think, yeah, you could sit there and talk about, you know, the running game isn't being helpful enough or the game situation, you know, dictates certain types of plays and the play calling and the offensive line and blah, blah. There are a lot of times Darren is, you know, he's doing the best he can with what he's given and he's not given much, you know, it's not a lot of guy. And I've, I've said it the last couple of years, it's not a lot of guys, you know, winning one-on-ones and, you know, Darren is just completely overthrowing guys or just not putting the ball where it needs to be. Yes. He makes mistakes, but you know, he's kind of creating something out of less than nothing a lot. Oftentimes. I guess switching gears, but not totally. Cause we'll talk about kind of the other people on the other side of that matchup we can talk about the cornerbacks a group that in the, the spring coach Elliott singled out as far as their competitiveness and something I put to Greg Keese Brown at some media days and he's you just kind of think it's the group of guys that's in there they've got a little bit of hunger I think it helps that there's a spot up for grabs with Quay White graduating that could be a big loss I mean cornerback is a, a position where you are so often on an island. And I think that's especially the case as I've seen what I've seen from Chad Staggs' defenses at Coastal is that I think that the cornerbacks are going to be playing on their own a fair bit this year. And so Bright Key's taking a step in addition to finding someone who you trust on that other side is going to be very important for the defense's prospects in 2023. I'm not sure what to make of Pringle um, and McCray. I believe McCray got in there a, a fair bit last special year. Teams. He got uh, he made plays on special teams. He got a right. recovery in the Southern Miss game, which is his right. state cool moment. Oh, that was that was fun. I remember that. Um, I, that cornerback two position is going to make or break this defense. Um, only because you're right, you know, Stag's defenses are defenses that I mean, they play, I believe they play a lot of man, um, at least on the outside. And, you know, guys are, you know, just they are tasked to make plays. And, you know, at Coastal, with, you know, the way that their defensive lines were the last couple of years, they were able to make plays. But, you know, and Georgia State has not struggled necessarily with their defensive line either, but they've just not had the elite level talent um, in the secondary, as you would expect, you know, I think there were games last year, you know, Quay has certainly had, he had his moments. Um, and then there were other games where, you know, guys struggled. And I think cornerback is certainly going to be a position for Georgia state. That's going to be a little, uh, a little sweaty earlier in the season until they kind of figure out some things. And, you know, they make sure that Brown still can be a capable cornerback. One of this conference. Yeah, I think for me, it's one of the ones I'm looking at when the depth chart comes out, the initial one, where if it's Brown and Bucknell transfer Gavin Pringle listed as as the starters with zero oars attached, I'll probably look at that and be like, all right, I think that's settled. Like They've got the two that they trust, and it's going to be about those guys just getting comfortable with the defense and making the plays happen. If there's any kind of difference there, if a guy stepped up, I'll take note of it, but it'll also almost necessarily be an underclassman where you go, all right, that's a young guy talent's probably there it's going to be about all the other stuff and just kind of you know doing all that's going to be asked of them in the defensive scheme which you know secondary the margin for error and especially a cornerback is basically zero you know if you're on in a one-on-one you're playing man you bite on a double move that could be a 70-yard touchdown so i definitely don't envy those guys' jobs i think of all the positions that's like the most 
you know, thankless. You know, that's one of the most where it's like everything can go wrong in an instant, even more than any other part of the game. Um, so I think if you're looking at it with two seniors in Brown and Pringle, that they kind of take those jobs, make them their own, you probably feel a little more comfortable heading into the season. And it's about, you know, keeping healthy, continuing to grow in the defense. But I always thought Brett Keese was a good player. And so him getting to be the CB1, I think, is a natural progression. And I, I think he is a guy that you totally trust in that role, uh, getting the best matchup from the other team, especially as you know he has taken strides in leadership of the secondary from what we have heard from him, from Coach Elliott. I think it feels like an, another part of the natural progression that he gets this bigger role. And I think it's certainly going to be his secondary that he is helping really steward through the early parts of the season. And I just want to make a programming note. I believe the Jalen Jones that is listed as a cornerback is a true freshman and not the Jalen. confirm it is not the, <laughs> the last the, couple of years. The Jalen Jones pipeline does go on though. So I guess in the next couple of years, you got to start recruiting the next one. Who's going to be in as a freshman by the time this Jalen Jones has exhausted his eligibility. Hopefully I was, also at cornerback. Right. Hopefully I was going to say. Another spelling of Jalen. I was going to say, you know, I feel like Jalen Jones is a name that I've seen on these depth charts for years. And that's what I remember. I think you talked about this when we talked about the recruiting class a few podcasts ago. Well, it probably would have been a wild podcast ago, but you understand my point. Yeah, but I mean, you did sing a lot, McRae. He's the one, if he was the guy who made a real step, it wouldn't surprise me because I think he was pretty touted. He was coming off a knee injury when he got here. So last year as a redshirt freshman was his first real time to really make a name for himself. And when you make those special teams plays, it makes me notice because, you know, aside from the cliche of every coach talking about like, that's where you make your name, we have literally seen it where that's what Tucker Gregg did. He made plays on special teams he was worked hard in that role and got bigger reps as a running back as a part of it earned a scholarship and the rest was georgia state athletics history georgia state football history is he's the leading rusher now so i don't take it lightly when i see stuff like that happen in games because i know the coaches don't take it lightly i know they notice stuff like that often i don't take it lightly either just because i mean if a guy is making plays on special teams special teams is one of the you know most thankless parts of playing football if he's making plays on special teams there's a very good chance he's capable of making those plays you know from a line of scrimmage type situation i guess it's my turn to pick the next one now though um oof, what do we want to do what do we want to do we did running backs um offense again i i will actually do the tight ends this year um because tight end is a very interesting position um for a few years it was just such a nice security blanket for georgia state um and then last year i felt like it was not as utilized as it could have been um but i you know i'm predicting a big year for chris bird you know i think he's going to be the guy that you for the most part are starting um i'm not sure if mcknight is going to install many passing two tight end sets um that was definitely something that we saw a few years ago um in the glenn offense um you know not it wasn't a crazy amount but they used it a lot for misdirection and i mean i'd also say 
it might be something that's dictated by the play. Cause I think a lot of that was, we've got to get Aubrey and Roger out there. Like they are both utilized, you know, they are both weapons we can utilize and maybe if they're going well in practice and they're showing that like, we got to use both Chris Bird and I'm on green. You're going to see more of that. I think it would, that would be what my read was. Cause I mean, Brad Glenn was the ultimate, I'm going to do what we do best and just hammer it. <laughs> Seriously. And, and to that point specifically, I think last year, you know, we kind of expected a little bit more out of green and bird. Um, I think they were good in the passing game. Like truthfully, I think they were really good at sealing outsides. Um, I just, I don't, I think they were good in the running game. I think they were, they did a really good job of sealing outsides. Um, you know, they did not let their man beat them consistently. Um, I just, I don't think they gave enough in the passing game. And I, and I think a little bit of that could be, you know, the offensive line didn't give Darren nearly enough time as they did in 2021. I think it could have been, you know, just the way that things were. Um, but I, I I'm hopeful that this year the both of those guys are able to step up um, and and give you a little bit more. I think they had like 22 catches between the two of them last year. Um, that's like a good wide receiver. Sorry, that's a good tight end for Georgia State the last couple of years combined. Um, so I, I think you, they definitely could give you a little bit more because it just it adds a different layer to the offense, especially when Georgia State needs it, and especially when teams are you know kind of keying in on Georgia State's ability to run the ball. You know, it just it's a different look, and it's a way that you can exploit defense. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I think it shows you that just how good quietly Roger Carter was. Like he he just kept showing up in open spaces in the field for his quarterback to find him throughout his career from when he was a freshman with Dan Ellington as the quarterback to when he finished out with Darren Granger. And I think that maybe slightly underappreciated, just not realizing that he was making it look really easy is the first takeaway for me from last year, but they're another year older. They went through the year getting basically all of the reps because Aubrey was never really healthy last year. They're going through another off season together um, an offseason is built on gains feels like it could be something that really benefits the tight end room where they can really bulk up and be useful. Because like you said, I thought they were good in the run game. And I feel like they at least are going to give you a decent floor because they didn't make mistakes. They weren't getting busted for holding penalties a lot in the run game. They were getting good seals. I know Amon Green particularly graded out well as a run blocker. And I expect that to continue. And I expect that they're going to be asked to do that a lot because we know what the offense is going to be centered around. But I do think that there's the opportunities there that you can see some growth in the receiving game and be more options over the middle of the field between the 20s or before the red zone. Because early on, it seemed like you were at least getting Chris Bird doing what Aubrey Payne did. Uh, he was you know, on pace to beat Aubrey Payne's record for the first three games because he got a touchdown against North Carolina. He got two against Charlotte, but he didn't get another touchdown the rest of the year. He only had five catches the rest of the year. And, you know, even if it is just getting more utility from them in the red zone, like they were able to do with Aubrey so often, that would be a plus. But if they're also able to be more of a weapon over the middle in the start of drives, you know, as you're looking for a key third and medium, it just felt like, so many third mediums you'd find Roger Carter or Roger Carter would be open on a wheel route and get a big game. And that was maybe what was more missing. Um, so 
I think it's going to be a unit that like you feel pretty comfortable with is not going to lose you any games or like really come up short. It's just about what more they can add, because I think if you have those tight ends that you have to worry about, we just spoke about the receivers and like stepping up. If you're having to worry about the middle of the field and the tight ends, especially if you've got two tight end sets, odds are greater that you're going to have a one-on-one on the outside and you're going to have an easier opportunity for a guy like Cradle to get open down the seam there down the sideline. And, you know, it kind of goes back to this idea with the offense that everything really works together. Um, And, you know, when Georgia state has been on the last few years, they've got, they've gotten really good tight end production. They've gotten really good wide receivers capable of winning their routes consistently. Um, and they've also been able to run the ball. But when they've struggled, that's when you know things start to break down. The tight ends aren't getting the separation. The wide receivers aren't getting the separation, or you know, the running backs are fumbling or what have you. So, you know, consistency in that area and is really where this offense needs to take their production to be better. And uh I guess I'll close this out for this one and I'll I'll grab the one I alluded to it earlier. I think it's one that's on a lot of Georgia state fans minds because of a few real bad results or real bad moments in games this past season. And talk about the special teams now and break it into the specialists and the rest of the unit. Um, because both of those are, I think questions heading into the season specialists chiefly because Michael Hayes is gone. He went to West Virginia. So you lose both your kicker and your punter. Uh, and it seems like comfortably Cade Loggins is going to be the guy at punter. The guy, you know, as Coach Elliott wasn't trying to say too many names this early on in camp when I was at full, uh, at practice last week, he did say Cade's the guy for now at punter, which made me seem made me think that that, that feels pretty safely locked in at this point and the guy they're going to rely on to do the punting, which it's something that you, you know, don't realize is so important until you're hearing the punter's name a lot and something's going wrong. And so if they feel comfortable in a guy there, at least you've got one of those locked up. Kicker is going to be an ongoing battle. They've got some options there. Freshman Isaac Kone uh, brought in a transfer from Charlotte that I believe is just about getting into the swing of things um, and some returning guys as well. I I don't think any of us, you know, we're not going to be there at practice seeing the kicks. I, I think it's just going to be a case of seeing someone make two or three in a row before you really feel like (laughs) comfortable again. But it goes back to the same thing with the punter, with the kicker, where it's easy to forget how reliable a guy like Michael Hayes was, or especially Noel Ruiz was, if you have a situation where you don't have a guy you trust within 40. I think that's at least where you want to get to, where you trust someone to make the gimmies. Yeah, kicking for Georgia State the last, I would say, like three, four years has been either... You don't think about it because it's been good, or there's been some problems. Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully they've found somebody who can kind of take that and is better. Um, I think Hayes Hayes wasn't bad last year. Um, I I just think that there were times where he could have been better, or you know, guys got hands on balls. It's you know, it's not his fault, obviously. Um, but I don't know. It's it's certainly something that gives you some pause when you go into camp and, you know, there's not a guy that you as a, you know, a fan or, you know, a coach, like not knowing how the season at that position is going to play out can be very 
very scary. So, it, you know, we'll you see. didn't add any transfers from like a senior who's got a history of the FCS level this time. You know, you're still going with guys you brought in either as freshmen or basically freshmen. <laughs> so exactly. there's no obvious starter that you're going to lean on. It really feels like it's going to be a battle through this whole August. And so it, probably if I had to guess, it's going to be one of the spots that has an or when we get the first depth chart. Maybe a guy's going to separate, but it might still be something where at that point they're like, we're still going to, it's still a competition. Um, the other side of things, I'll say something controversial. Georgia State cannot have as many punt blocks and expect to win games in 2023. Um, it was killer in the South Carolina game, literally. That absolutely just zapped their chances of winning that game on the road. And the ULM one was brutal and kind of summed up that loss is just kind of an inexcusable, just really bad game they let get away from them. And you know, in between, you had this, the recovery against Southern Miss in a game where everything went well. So obviously the special teams were also going to go well. But there wasn't really that edge. Um, that still kind of escapes it being kind of that third unit that you can really lean on to win games. But honestly, just getting it back to not being a negative again would be the win because that was kind of where they were at before last year. And obviously last year, it was a negative. It was just, there was there were problems. Was it last year, the first year they hired a special teams coordinator and we spent all it, offseason yeah, talking yeah, it up? Absolutely. Which, which, which made it suck even more, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, there was some of that. Like, it was on that side of things, I think. You know, I Coach Elliott himself has said, like, it was a scheme issue where they had the wrong guys in the wrong formation in the South Carolina game. And you had Shane Beamer, who comes from the lineage of special teams and his dad being the special teams guy at Virginia Tech for many years. And... Pete Lembo, who's their special teams coordinator, who's one of the best at that job currently working, exploited it. And I'm, I, I, they'd fixed some of that. I don't think that the ULM block punt was from the same issues with the same personnel issues. But ultimately, when you have pump blocks, good chance that it's about the, the scheme and getting exposed by the coaching because that's where you see some coaches really dig their teeth in and say, we've got an opportunity looking at the way that this gunner does on every punt or this guy on the inside does on every punt. That's where you get fakes from as you look at tendencies on film. All that stuff just kind of has to be a given this year. You can't have a situation where after a game we're talking about, oh yeah, that was another one where just the, the scheme was wrong with the special teams, especially because you brought in a guy to play to be the special teams coordinator. In year two, like it can't be any of that going on. That's just where it's at, you know. I mean, yeah, it really is that simple. You know, it doesn't matter the personnel. We could sit here and probably talk about everybody on the roster, but like it just, it has to be better. You know, we were talking about it potentially being a positive last year after a few years of it being, you know, going from a negative to being a neutral. And, you know, then they went and had to regress. We have, you know, we have to open up that can of worms and have that conversation about trying to get it back to being a neutral again, which sucks because, you know, like there are a lot of times it seemed like special teams was the one extra area that could have given this team oomph um, and really elevate them as a program. I mean, yeah, you would have liked more from the defense or the offense at times, but 
you know, you know, you think back to some coastal games or some app state games when Georgia state has taken a surprise lead, a big reason how they, both of those teams have gotten back in those games is, you know, a special teams play. It happened with South Carolina last year. So, you know, definitely need just that to be completely reversed from whatever it was last year. And kind of like the kickers, it's going to be a see to believe thing where you're just going to have to see stretches of games where it's not an issue and you don't have the big, flaming big loud mistakes like we saw last year that swung multiple games and all right that's going to do it for this week with our schedule gut checks and our position previews we will have the last bit of that followed next week with our schedule gut check part three with the november games and then the final part three of our position previews with those final position groups so we will see you next week until then have fun stay safe go panthers we'll see you later Bye-bye.